Good evening, ladies. It's so good to be here, be back. I was kind of wondering with all these snowstorms, you know, it's, I thought, is it going to snow all through February? And, you know, we'll start in March, but we were determined we're going to get this study in. <laughs> well, let's pray before we get started. Lord, we just thank you so much for your love, Lord. We just thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, seeing all these beautiful faces, Lord, it's just... We're blessed, Lord. We're just so blessed. And, Lord, we thank you that we can meet, that we can worship. We thank you for the worship team, for just those words, Lord, of that last song, Lord. You're, you're amazing, Lord. We love you so much. So we pray, Lord, that you would be with us tonight, Lord, that you'd fill this place with your spirit, Lord. And, um, Lord, you know our needs. You know each one of our hearts and what we're going through tonight, Lord. So we pray... Holy Spirit, you would meet those needs, and we just pray in your name. Amen. So as Kristen said, we're really excited about doing this book of signs. Um, we really wanted to do, in light of everything going on in the world, a book about the last days. So um, tonight is the introduction, and I read the book, so I could, couldn't possibly share everything with you. It's just such an amazing book, but I'm just going to highlight a few things that really blessed me. Um, I'm just going to tell you a little story about how we decided to do the book, because it's always interesting <laughs> how God works. Um, Dr. Jeremiah has written many books about the end times, so um, my board got together and we had a meeting and we ordered a whole bunch of the books, and we just wanted to read them and just see which one we'd want to do for the study. So I got all the books. They were on my end table in my bedroom. And we were pretty busy with the Looking to Jesus study, and we were getting ready for Thanksgiving. So I thought, I'm just going to read them after Thanksgiving. And it was a, it was a pile of books. So um, I was also very excited about Thanksgiving because, you know, with COVID, our family hadn't been together that much. So... You know, I was very excited. I got all the preparations and everything. Well, two weeks before Thanksgiving, my son got COVID. And um, so we, and then a week later, I got it. So we were quarantined in our bedrooms for 14 days. And, you know, 2020 strikes again. No family Thanksgiving. Um and I was, you know, Lord, what are you doing? So then um, my son lost his taste and smell before Thanksgiving, too. And I felt really bad for him, you know, because I thought, oh, you know, that's awful. So I was praying for him, and I'd be texting him because we couldn't, you know, be in the same room. So I'd be texting him, I'm praying for you. I'm praying the Lord gives it back before Thanksgiving. And it did. The day before Thanksgiving, he got his taste and smell back. But two days before Thanksgiving, I lost mine. <laughs> so I was like, Lord, this isn't fair. <laughs> he got his back and I didn't. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. So um, my, you know, my girls, they're such a blessing. They dropped off Thanksgiving dinner on a table outside our house. My husband didn't have it yet, so he brought it in. He sat downstairs and had it by himself and put our meals out. We had these little tables outside our bedroom doors. He put our meals there. So I brought it in. I was like, I can't taste anything. I can pretend that what it tastes like, but I'm really happy for Josh. Lord, it's a miracle. I'm thankful we're not in the hospital. We had mild cases, but I'm eating the dinner, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like... 2020, you know? So anyway, um, Joe, he, he couldn't come in the room either, so he's texting me all the pies the girls made, homemade pies. Which kind do you want, the s'mores one or this or that? And I thought, Lord, this is too much. I said, I don't want any pie. I can't pretend I can taste it. it this is killing me. So I said, no, I'm going to wait. I'll just wait. I'll wait till I can really taste it. So that was our Thanksgiving. Just a little background on that. that and I'm still telling you the story about the book. After, thanks, after Thanksgiving, I was still in quarantine, 
and I was staring at the pile of books on my table. And I said, Lord, I really don't feel good enough to read all these books. I don't know what I'm going to do because we have to decide. So I thought, you know what, I can just read the backs of them because that kind of tells you, you know, what's, what they're about. So um, I read, I picked up the Book of Signs. That was the first one I picked up. And I read this on the back of the book. Join Dr. Jeremiah as he lays out the signs of the end times and helps you prepare for the days ahead in 31 easy-to-understand chapters filled with engaging illustrations and practical application. The Book of Signs is a must-have resource for Christians seeking to navigate the uncertainties of the present and embrace God's promises for the future. And that is so true. Each chapter is really easy to read and understand. He makes the end times very easy. And it's filled with scripture and promises from God. And we usually like to do a book of the Bible, but he has so many scriptures in there. It's really a blessing. Um, And I thought, you know, that last part really hit me. A must-have resource for Christians seeking to navigate the uncertainties of the present. Here I am in my room with COVID. And embrace God's promises for the future. Navigate means to steer or manage, to make one's way over or through. And I thought, you know, for the last year, I've been navigating these uncertain circumstances. Before COVID happened, I felt like my life was pretty certain. You know, I got up, I went to work, I, you know, took care of my home, um, I saw my grandkids. Um, It was pretty normal. And my husband did, he um, developed a heart problem, so that was in the beginning, before COVID hit. So that was kind of unsettling. But um, then as 2020 went on, things got more crazy. You know, the church shut down, and the school shut down, and... um, it was hard to do ministry. We had to wear masks and social distancing. It was all these uncertainties we'd never been through before. And um, so I thought, uh, talk about uncertainties of the present. This book's going to be perfect. This is, I can relate to this. So I was really, that was the one thing that the book, I thought, maybe we're supposed to do it. And then the prologue to the book, I could totally relate to. It said, I'm confident you will have, as I have, the understanding, the signs, that understanding the signs presented in the five parts of this book will help you to live with confidence, hope, and a renewed sense of purpose. The end times may be near, but as Christians, our future is secure. Indeed, we live in a chaotic world, but we can be confident and at peace because God is the author of history. And because the return of the Prince of Peace may be closer than we think. Awaiting his return, David Jeremiah. And after I read that, I thought, this is the book. We have to do this book because it's everything we're going through in the world today. And I have to say, after reading the book, that that's exactly what I came away with. More confidence and hope that God is in control of our lives right now even though it looks crazy. And I had a renewed sense of purpose that God had me living here for such a time as this. And um, Dr. Jeremiah, I got an email from him, and he said, right now, I feel like I'm here to deliver the unchanging word of God to an ever-changing world. And Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I thought, that's how I feel. Jesus is my constant right now. Everything else is changing, but he's constant. And I'm learning to embrace God's promises for the future rather than trying to hold on to things I've been used to in the past because it seems like all those things are not the same anymore. Um, As he said, the end times may be near, but as Christians, our future is secure. And um, I'm just going to talk about a few chapters in the book because I can't possibly cover them all, but a few of the ones that really bless my heart. Um, Chapter 14 on heaven was my favorite one, I think. Did anybody read that one yet? No? It's just awesome. 
But I just wanted to read you a few excerpts that I thought were just so good. Um, How many of you have read any of the book yet? Oh, a lot of you. So maybe you already know all this. How, How many of you have finished the book? Nobody? Oh, good. That makes me feel better. <laughs> Otherwise, I think you already know all this. Um, so in chapter 14, on page 182, it said, God created us for heaven. That's our true home. That's our country. That's our destination. And when we set our minds on things above, we can experience a supernatural peace, even when the world around us is falling apart. And I, I put wow in the thing next to it because I thought that's now. I have a lot of wows in that book in red. I just, it's almost all underlined. And then that reminds me of 1 Peter 1 9. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have a living hope in heaven to look forward to. This world isn't all we have as Christians, which is such a hope, because this world's looking worse and worse. Um, in heaven, chapter on... The heaven chapter on page 189, he talks about our inheritance. He says, you have an inheritance in Christ that will never be touched by inflation. It won't be lost in an economic crash. Its value will never decline or decrease. And it is both reserved and preserved for you. Your name is on it and your eternal resources are there. And with the ever-changing world, this is such a blessing. You know, heaven can't be taken away from us. Philippians 3.20, he goes on to say, say, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not citizens of earth who are going to heaven. We are citizens of heaven who are traveling through earth. And I thought that was really amazing. The only things going from earth to heaven are human souls and the word of God. So invest your time, talents, and treasure in the word of God and souls of men and women who need the message of Jesus Christ. Um, In these last days, we need to have our hope in heaven and not just in this world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So many people in the world today are so hopeless because their only hope is this world. They don't have another hope. There's so many people right now suicidal and with drug overdoses and because they don't have the hope of heaven. If you have Jesus, you have another hope, and it's a better hope. Um, and he goes on to say also on page 182, at the rapture of the church, Jesus will escort believers to heaven to live with him forever. And as we'll discover in future chapters, amazing new experiences are in store for believers in heaven while the tribulation unfolds on earth. Almighty God is inviting you to a banquet in heaven, but you need to reserve your place. You must respond to his RSVP. If you are reading these words and aren't sure your reservation is secure, I urge you to pray about it right now. Confess your sins. Acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Turn your life over to his control and accept his free offer of the gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 And I was reading this chapter on heaven. I was so excited and so thankful as John 3.16 says, for that everlasting life that we've been promised. Um, Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So God's given all of us an invitation. We just have to accept it. And I was talking to Jean McClure about it the other day, and she was up at her son's church in San Jose, and he's teaching on Revelations too, and he's in chapter 19. 
And she said, when she got back from church, she said to her nine-year-old granddaughter, your dad was talking about the marriage supper today, and I bet that's going to be delicious. And her granddaughter said, and I bet they're going to have chocolate cake. (laughs) And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? I'm sure he will, because God wants to give us our favorite things. He wants to bless us. Can you imagine what that meal is going to be like? And I thought, we'll eat the cake and we won't gain weight. We won't have to wear masks. There won't be social distancing. You know, there's lots of great things about heaven. So, um, you know, that you have to read that chapter. It's okay if you read that first. <laughs> there's no law. You don't have to start from the beginning. But in this book, he talks about Bible prophecy and what signs will precede the end. He talks about which of these signs have already come to pass, which we are experiencing now, and which are still to come. He wrote this book in 2019, so it's very current, and he relates the current events to the prophecies in the Bible. Um, Let's look on the screen right now at the five parts of the book. And we're going to talk about how to do the study. Um, So part one is international signs. Part two, cultural signs. Part three, heavenly signs. Part four, tribulation signs. And part five is end signs. And there's chapters in each of those parts. And some have more chapters than others. But um, your homework for this this week, this month, because the study's in, what, two more weeks? You were supposed to have a month to read it, but because of the snow, it's the snow's fault. Now you only have two weeks. But um, your homework is to read part one, and there's five chapters. And there's more homework, too, is to pray it doesn't snow. Because we don't want to keep doing snow dates. So just really pray it doesn't snow. And then um, the book and the workbook, um, the The book is required. You can't really do the study without the book. The workbook is optional. Um, This is the workbook. How many of you have the workbook? Yeah, it it is really good. You can do the study just with the book, but you can't really do the study with just the workbook because there's more in the book. But the workbook does have maps and a lot of illustrations, which makes the study kind of come alive. So it is really great to have. Um, there's a leader's guide in there too. So if you're going to do it with a large group, there's a leader's guide. Um, There's lots of ways you can do this study. You can do it on your own as a personal study. You can do it with a friend. You can do it with a group. You can do it on Zoom. Um, When I was reading the book in my quarantine, I was texting parts of the book to my friends and um, they would text me back or call me, and we, would, we were having a quarantine Bible study. It was great. Um, but, you know, you, you can do it however you can do it. Um, another thing about this book, that it really, it really helps us to understand the times we are living in. He's very practical. And um, Corey Ten Boom said this, It is so kind of the Lord to tell us beforehand what will happen. We Christians are, strictly speaking, the only people in the whole world who know the future and who understand the present time. And you know what? If you're not saved, I don't know how you can make any sense of what's going on right now. You know, it's I'm thankful that I know the Lord and... You know, he does help us to understand the present time. And this book is great with that. Um, The Bible is the only history book that not only talks about past events, but talks about present and future events. Someone once said that history is his story. As you hear the news and read history books, you get some of the details. But as you read the Bible, you get the big picture. God is working his purposes out in history. God is the sovereign Lord of history. Jesus is the centerpiece. All lines of history converge on him. And he does a lot of um, information on history in this book. The world system right now, inspired by Satan, is trying very hard to cancel God out of our history. But God can't be canceled. 
He is the creator of the universe, and Jesus will be returning very soon to cancel Satan and this world system that he has caused to be so evil. And um, David Jeremiah goes into this too in the prologue. He says, God in his providence has placed a number of critical signs along the highway we call human history. We often think of these signs as prophecies, and we have been made aware of them through the prophetic vehicle of God's word, the Bible. Some signs we encounter in the scriptures are informational, some are invitational, and many offer warnings about the road ahead that apply to both our present and our future. All of these signs are important, and none should be ignored. I find it fascinating that the Bible dedicates more space to the subject of prophecy than almost any other. There are over 1,800 prophecies in God's word concerning the first and second coming of Jesus Christ um, alone. Obviously, prophecy is important to God, and he desires for us to understand his plans. He has given us his signs for a reason. As you read through the book of signs, you will find a comprehensive comprehensive exploration of these prophecies and signs. You will see not only how God's word offers insights in the future, but also how scripture builds faith through the events of the past and encouragement in the uncertainty of the present. And I love that. Um, that reminded me of Romans 15:4 that says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And there's not a lot in this world right now to offer in the category of encouragement. I mean, you watch the news and it's kind of discouraging, and you know. but it says when you're reading the scriptures, it helps you endure and be encouraged and have hope. And I like when it says the stories that were written in the past in the Bible about people help us to um, the circumstances they were in and you know it helps us to build our faith to see that God took them through these and I think there's stories of the people in the Bible um, it says to teach us in our lifetime you know the things you're going through there's certain characters and certain stories that really minister to you and um, Lately, David has really blessed me, it just his life. And I just wanted to share a couple things. Um, when we look at things going on in the world, sometimes it gets overwhelming. And David said this in Psalm 73, 16 to 17, When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. And the Amplified Version says, but when I considered how to understand this, it was too great for an effort for me and too painful until I went into the sanctuary of God. And I could really relate to that. You know, is that, do you ever feel like that right now? Just situations and stuff are kind of painful and kind of oppressive. But he says, when I went into the sanctuary, I understood. He was a man of prayer. He went to God with all his feelings and talked to God about everything. God was his sanctuary. And when we pray and read the word, it gives us God's perspective. And I think David's such an example. That's why we love the Psalms, because they're so relatable. Um, 1 Samuel 36 says, But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And one way he did this was by worshiping. He was a musician. He wrote the songs. He wrote the psalms. And I loved the part. There's um, chapter 17 in the book is on worship. Has anybody read that one? No? Well, this one excerpt was really good. It says, worship is the corridor through which we make the exchange of heaven. It is the avenue that leads us from the emptiness of this world to the fullness of the next world. It is the street that leads from decay and discouragement to renewal and glory. When we fail to worship, therefore, we confine ourselves to the despair of this life. And I thought, that is so true. When we come and worship, it just takes all your despair away. You know, it lifts that whole, you know, feeling. And I love that it's the exchange of heaven. When you worship, you do feel like heaven comes down. Um, 
As Christians today, we're faced with things we've never had to go through before. Our faith is being challenged on every side. There's a real anti-Christ attitude in the world today, and even in America, and he, he addresses that in the book. Um, Christians are being persecuted just for their faith, just for being Christians. And what do we do when our faith is challenged? It's kind of scary. Um, Gene McClure's son has a church in San Jose, and you know, they've just been fining him. He owes millions of dollars just for being a church, just for being open. He's really getting persecuted. Um, that's why I'm so thankful we can meet. But, um, you know, it says that David, when he, when he faced Goliath, um, he was a warrior for God. He stood up for God in the midst of so much evil and opposition and I think we've never really had to do that in America, is have to really stand up for our faith and be, you know, opposed for it. So David is such an example. In 1 Samuel 17, he says, he talks about Goliath, and he says, he came cursing, boasting, blaspheming, scoffing, and deriding the living God. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The world today just doesn't respect God. They don't, you know, have that um, awesome respect for who he is. But David answered with confidence, You come to me with a sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the armies of heaven and of Israel, the very God whom you have defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And Israel will learn that the Lord does not depend on weapons to fulfill his plans. He works without regard to human, me human means. He will give you to us. And the footnote in my Bible was so good. It said, Goliath had the definite advantage against David. He was 9-9. And David was too young to even be in the army. Um, but Goliath didn't realize that in fighting David, he also had to fight God. What a difference perspective can make. David saw a mortal man defying Almighty God. He knew he would not be alone when he faced Goliath. God would fight with him. He looked at this situation from God's point of view. Viewing impossible situations from God's point of view helps us to put giant problems in perspective. And I thought that was so good. You know, he... He had a giant problem, but he knew God was with him. It didn't depend on his strength. Um, I love the worship song we just sang. You will lead us through the fiercest battle, oh, where else will we go but the Lord of hosts. You know, it made me think, are we willing to stand for God even if we are getting persecuted, you know? Um, Corey Ten Boom said this, and she wrote this in like 1969, I can't believe she wrote this. It said, We understand that Jesus may come very soon. Before his return, there will be a hard battle, and therefore it is good to prepare ourselves and to gird our loins with power. Every Christian is called to take his place in the army of the King Jesus and to wrestle as a fellow warrior, conquer her with him. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This battle is more violent than ever before. The devil knows that his time is short. Everything is heading toward the great and final battle, which John describes in the book of Revelation. But we know Jesus was victor, Jesus is victor, and Jesus will be victor. Amen to that, right? There's lots of giant problems in the world today we're facing but we're not alone. We're facing him with Almighty God and the armies of heaven. They're on our side. And that's another thing I got out of the book. He really stresses that God is in control. You know, everything isn't out of control. It's, it's not, you know, falling apart. It's falling into place. Um, and we're on the winning side. We need to remember that. Um, one commentator said, the devil might seem mighty, but God is almighty. David knew that Goliath was no match for God. He knew that. Um, David, Jeremiah said this, could there be anything more futile than creatures fighting against their creator? You know, it's amazing that, you know, the world 
wants to cancel God. You cannot do that. You know, God is the creator. And um, it's funny, I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I have, sometimes we get these little ants in our house, these little black ants. And it, it was crazy, this one, it was last year, they started coming out of the light switches, like up in our third floor, and then they were coming in the living room, and I thought, this is crazy. Like, where are they coming from? So Joe was like, you know, caulking everything, and we had to get an exterminator. But I thought, you know, they were annoying, and they were a lot of trouble, just like the devil is to us. He's annoying and a lot of trouble. But those ants are never going to take over my house, you know, ever. That's ridiculous, you know. So that's how God sees it. I mean, but we don't see it like that. Sometimes we can feel like the evil is winning, but it can't because God's bigger, you know. Um, In part five, end signs, he talks about this. He says, when Christ returns the second time, he will finally fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At his first coming, Jesus fulfilled the first part of Isaiah's prophecy. At the second coming, he will fulfill the second part that reveals his power and his authority over the nations. The government of the world will at last be upon his shoulder. He alone can bring peace to the planet. And that's for sure. He alone. Revelation 1.8 says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, who is and who was and who was to come, the Almighty. And he is. He began everything, and he's going to end it. Um, And chapter 12 about the rapture was probably one of the best things I've ever read on the rapture. You can read that one first, too. (laughs) Um, And I wanted to share a couple things about that one, too. Um, Page 158 says, Without any sign, without any warning, Jesus Christ will return to return to rapturous saints and take them to heaven. Paul understood the implications of this signless event. It means that we must be ready for the Lord's return at any time and at all times. Thus he urged Titus to be always looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13. And he goes on to say in John 14.3, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That coming again is the moment of the rapture. The entire passage speaks of the rapture as a family affair reserved solely for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I loved that. It's a family affair. You know, I love the body of Christ. We are a family. And to think that just the way he put that, I thought that was just so amazing. Um, And he says... The Apostle Paul emphasized the suddenness of the rapture when he said, it will happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The whole idea is that this event will occur suddenly at the speed of light. In less than a nanosecond, the Lord will call all believers to himself to share his glory. It could even happen as we're sitting here tonight. Um, On page 156, he says, the tribulation will be an extended time of horror, agony, and devastation like nothing ever before seen or imagined. The rapture is God's provision for his saints to escape the tribulation. Jesus will return immediately before this time of world judgment to remove completely all those who have put their trust in him. And that reminded me of a song by Mercy Me. It's called Flawless. And I love the words. It says, like a hero who takes the stage when we're on the edge of our seats, saying it's too late. Well, let me introduce you to amazing grace. We have a hero who's coming to rescue us, and he really is a hero. He's not a fake superhero. Um, And Galatians 1, 3 to 4 says, Grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. What What a promise. Um, You know, I've been praying for a long time that the Lord will help me have that urgency that I had when I was first saved to share about the rapture. And um, 
at, at that time, I told everybody because I didn't want them to be left behind. And I have to say, after reading that rapture chapter, I felt like that again. I said to my husband, when I get out of quarantine, we're going to order a bunch of these books, and I'm going to give it to all the people I know that aren't saved because I just want them to read that chapter so they're not left behind. And we did it. We gave them to everybody we could think of. And uh, I thought, and even if they get left behind, they'll have the book and they'll know exactly what's going to happen. So, so you get the books, give them to everybody that is not saved. Um, Luke 21:28 says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I even got a mask after I read that chapter. I had a picture of Jerusalem, and I put that verse on it, and I thought, it's right there. <laughs> I thought, if I have to wear a mask, I'm going to have that message that Jesus is coming soon. And I do wear it, and people look at me really weird, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, Another chapter that was amazing is chapter 11 on apathy. It talks about waking up and heeding the warnings in the Bible about the last days. <clears throat> and um, you can read that one too. Um, Matthew 24:37 says, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. And David Jeremiah said this, The people of Noah's day ignored and even ridiculed his warnings. And this was really interesting. It said... He preached for 120 years about the flood that was coming, and not one individual outside his family believed him. 120 years. I never realized that. I just thought that was amazing. He gave invitation after invitation, and then the last day of opportunity passed by, and someone somewhere felt the first raindrop that ever fell. Then the heavens opened up and the fountains of the deep broke loose and God closed the door of the ark. Peter the apostle has a word to say about this. First of all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Um, Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on. It has since the beginning of creation. And he says, doesn't that sound familiar? People don't believe it. Uh, What is Peter saying? He's saying the time immediately before Christ's return will be just as it was in Noah's day. The public grew bored with Noah's preaching. He kept saying what people didn't want to hear. As long as most people could remember, he'd been hammering away about judgment and an approaching flood. They took no heed to God's warnings. And I thought, doesn't that sound like today? It's it's really... um, frightening. In the 70s, there's this film series called A Thief in the Night, and it was based on, somebody's laughing. Yeah, you've seen it? Um, it's based on 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-2, which is, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And this was about a husband and a wife and the husband got raptured and the wife was left behind. And it's all, it shows all the things she had to go through in the tribulation. Couldn't buy food. She didn't want to get the mark. And it was really, after I watched that, I wanted to warn everybody, you know. Um, how many of you have seen that movie? You have to, it's old. It's the 70s. There, you have to get past the hair and the music and the uh, clothes. But it still has the same message. Um, so I love the way he ends this book, and I know you're not supposed to tell an ending of a book, but I'm going to, <laughs> because I really loved what this said. First, he talks to Christians, and he says, in addition to enabling us to live with hope about our world and its future, studying prophecy has an even higher and more practical value. It provides a compelling motivation for living the Christian life, which is really true. When we have heard and understood the truth of Christ's promised return, we cannot just keep living our lives the same old way. Future events have present implications that we cannot ignore. 
I believe the reason God gives us health and life and energy as his people is so we can be ambassadors giving out the gospel, all so we can take as many people to heaven with us as possible. I loved that. I just thought that was so good. Jude 21, 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ under eternal life. And I have this old iPhone. In fact, one guy in the store said, You have vintage phone. And I thought, I don't think it's that old. But um, when I use Google Maps, sometimes it goes off right in the middle of the drive. So I have to pull over and put the destination back in. And I was thinking, as Christians, we need to keep our GPS, the Bible, always directing us, or we're going to take a wrong turn. It says in the last days, many are going to fall away. So keeping our, keep ourselves, that's his admonition. Then he talks to people who don't know the Lord yet. He says, and I love this, he says, Perhaps you have come to the final pages of this book, uncertain of what eternity holds in store for you. You may have become aware you are heading in the wrong direction along the road of life. You have missed the exits and opportunities God has called you to take through the gentle <clears throat> excuse me, promptings of his Holy Spirit. And you are cruising along your path, a path that ultimately leads to destruction. If you find yourself in that place, I humbly but urgently encourage you to heed the voice of God at this moment. Make a U-turn, repent, turn away from the road that leads to destruction, and choose instead the road that leads to life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14:16. I am the way and the truth and the life. Choose to embrace, embrace God's gift of salvation. Allow Jesus to set you free. When you make that choice, you will encounter one final sign at the conclusion of your life's journey. Standing before Christ on the final day, you may even see him holding that sign as he beckons you to join him in the place he has prepared for you. It's a sign that simply says, welcome home. And I thought that was so sweet. Um, someone once said that GPS means God's plan of salvation. The Bible directs us to the right road to heaven. Salvation means to be delivered or rescued from peril. And what do we need to be rescued from? David Jeremiah says that on page 312. He says, Satan, the Lord of death, is our perennial adversary, the arch enemy of God and his creation. It was his rebellion that corrupted creation and brought death and evil into the world. He has been mankind's bitter enemy and tempter and inflictor of grief ever since. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The thief, Satan, comes not, comes not, does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that may, they may have life and have it more abundantly. God loves us. And um, I was thinking, you know, if somebody gave you a choice to have a free home, fully furnished, all expense paid for the rest of your life, and there's two places you could choose, either Hawaii, which is called an absolute para paradise. They say locals that live there are ranked as some of the most happiest and healthiest people in the country. Sounds like heaven. Um, there are more beautiful destinations than you can count. The other choice is Death Valley, California, which is the hottest place on earth. Did you know that? I didn't realize that. It, it's the hottest place on earth. They said it gets it outside, the average temperature is 108, and it gets up to 127. There's only 300 people that live there, and there's almost no cell phone service anywhere. So which place would you rather live? Um, God is preparing Christians a heavenly home. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The devil, on the other hand, is not preparing a place that you'd want to live. Matthew 13.42 says, Where he is going will be a furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There are two roads in life we can take. It's our choice. And we had to do this since it's the book of signs, and you see all these signs. Um, the one sign that's the right way leads to life. And then the other sign that's the wrong way leads to life without God. 
Proverbs 16.25 says, I would turn back if I were you. Proverbs um, 16.25 says, There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And um, in the book of signs, he says, Man without God is always incomplete, and we long for the completeness we can find only in a relationship with him. And that's so true. Ephesians 2.12-13 says, At the time you... At that time, you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. And now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And to me, that perfectly explains how I felt before I got saved. I felt so far from God and so hopeless. But when I asked him in my heart, I immediately felt near to him and forgiven and loved. I can't imagine having no hope and without God in this world today, what would you do? I mean, you know, we need the Lord. Um, Re- Revelations 22:17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears come, and let him who thirsts, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely or undeserved, undeservedly. But we have this worship video by the Katinas, And um, Revelation 16.6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And that's going to be an amazing worship time. I can't even imagine what that's going to be. The sound of thunderings, all of us praising the Lord together. And they have three songs. The first song is called Our God. And the lyrics are, our God is greater, and they'll be on the screen so you can worship together. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. There is nobody like our God. If our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? If our God is with us, what could stand against? And I think we need to remember that tonight, that we're on the winning team. Nothing's going to stand against us. The second song is called Indescribable, and those lyrics say, Creation revealing your majesty, you are an amazing God. None can fathom, indescribable, uncontainable, all-powerful, awestruck we fall to our knees as we proclaim you're an amazing God. And I think that's something that we need to proclaim more, that our God is amazing. And the last song is called Here For You, and I couldn't believe the lyrics to this song. It says, let our praise be your welcome. Let our songs be a sign. What are the chances? We are here for you. Let your breath come from heaven. Fill our hearts with your life. Let every heart adore. Let every soul awake. Almighty God of love, be welcomed in this place. And the last verse I want to share is Romans 15:13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this dark time, we can overflow with hope. We can. If we get the right perspective, if we stay in the sanctuary, as David did. So let's worship together with the Katinas. Hello, everyone. A big hello to our sister Kathy and all the beautiful sisters in Calvary Chapel, Philly. To brothers and Katinas, we are so honored to join you as you study God's word, as you come together to lift up the name of Jesus. God is there where you're at, in your homes, in your offices, in your car, and we feel his presence right here. So sisters, let's worship together.
Once again, thank you, sisters. Thanks, moms, for letting us come and worship with you. As you study, we couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Romans 13, 11. It is high time that we awake out of our sleep because our salvation 
is near, yes it is, than when we first believe. But until then, let's continue to reflect the love of Jesus. And God, this is our declaration to you as your sons and daughters that we are here for you. Open up your mind. Let the Spirit of God.